Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a very familiar passage, passage of Scripture, but we're going to read it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Well, get to the right verse. And uh, let's begin with verse 4. This is the Shema. It's Israel's statement of faith. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now drop down to verse 20 of that same chapter. It says this, When your son asks you in the time to come, saying, What is the meaning of these testimonies, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to them, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of his household. Then he brought us out from there that we might bring us in and give us the land of which he swore to our forefathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is to this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. That was the instruction that Israel received. Now I'm going to read you. You can just drop down notes out of Joshua chapter 2 beginning with verse 7. What happened? Joshua 2 beginning with verse 7 if you're taking notes. So the Lord served, so the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done in Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance in Timnath, Heres, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after whom, after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for a good crowd. We thank you for those that followed you obediently in baptism. Father, we thank you for the beautiful music, uh, just for the grace of being here. We're not here by chance or happenstance. But Father, you've made this time, this appointment with us to speak to our hearts. So Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, make your word come alive. Let it be very understandable. Remove those things from our hearts and minds that would weigh us down and not hear from you. And Lord, as we hear from you, let us be faithful doers of the word and not forgetful hearers and obey you. And Father, for those who need to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior publicly, I pray today the day is the day they'll get that taken care of. These things I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I wanted to speak as we get ready to start a new year on one of the responsibilities that we have. And that responsibility is to pass on what we believe. To pass on what we believe. 
a fellow who is a historian, but he's a religious historian, wrote this about our faith. To our forefathers, our faith was an experience. They left all to come to a new land where they could worship as they believed the Bible had taught them. To our fathers, our faith was an inheritance. They treasured it because it had been taught to them. To us, our faith is a convenience. We often take for granted the liberties we have to worship as we believe we're supposed to worship. And then he said, so far to our children, our faith has become a nuisance. Now, what he's saying there is not condemning the younger generation. What he's saying there is reminding us that maybe we have failed to pass on what we believe about our God. And if we forget to pass on what we believe about Jesus Christ, then we have lived a futile life. It amazes me that the people we read about that received this word from Moses at this time and from God to Moses to them, they received it. They had seen all the mighty works of God, how he had delivered the nation out of Egypt. How he had led them in the wilderness for almost 40 years. How he had fed them with manna and quail. How he had caused water to come out of the rock. On and on and on they had seen God work. Then, when it comes to the Joshua passage we read, they had invaded the land. They had had victory after victory as God fought for them. And yet, when Joshua and his generation died, it says another generation came up after them who did not know God and the work he had done for them. What was wrong? What happened? Somewhere between taking over the land and raising families and making a living, they had forgotten the most important thing, which is to pass on their faith to their children and grandchildren and neighbors and nieces and nephews and friends. I can just keep going on. We don't want to be like that. So how do we pass on what we believe, our faith? How do we pass on our faith, our relationship with Jesus Christ? Not just religion, but relationship. Well, the first thing we must do is this. In verses 4 and 5, we do it through the power of love. We pass on our beliefs through the power of love. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love. That sounds pretty simple. But see, Jesus used this commandment in the New Testament as the greatest commandment and said the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments, all the Old Testament, all the law and prophets hinge. Love is to be supreme. But when we talk about that, what really does that mean? You see, we don't just teach about our love for God. We show that we love God. We don't just teach about our faith in Christ. We show our children. You see, our children today need to see that our relationship is real. That our faith is not something we talk about. It's something that we live out. 
And there's a vast difference between telling somebody about something and living it out in front of them on a day-by-day basis. You see, our children need to feel real love. Our children need to see love in our marriages. They need to see love in our relationships outside in the community. Our children need to see that we love as God loved us. Now, how do we do that? You need to treat your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, those that God has entrusted in your presence. You need to treat them as special gifts from Him. Every child needs to feel loved and feel special. Did you hear that? That does not mean they won't rebel. That does not mean they won't push the boundaries. But it's our job to set the boundaries and hold the boundaries. Now, some of what I'm going to say is not going to be very popular. Parents, you're the parent. You're not the best friend. Okay? Grandparents, you get, the best, you get to be the best friend unless they're going to hurt themselves or each other. And then, then you have to do something. Those that are parents, your time will come. But you see, children feel loved when they have boundaries, when they feel secure, when everything is just all up in the air. They feel love when we care enough to make them mind. My kids were assured that I was the meanest man alive when they were growing up. Their first thought was, what will dad do if he finds out? And somebody said, oh, they were afraid of you. That's terrible. I said, no, that was good. I wanted them to wonder what was going to happen if I found out. They said, well, my friends get to do this. My friends get to do that. Yada, yada, yada. My response to that is the same thing I'm going to tell you. I love you enough that you're not going to do that. Not because you're a preacher's kid, but because you're a Christian. And if it's not right for a preacher's kid, it's not right for a Christian. But you see, we have a generation, and I want you to hear me and hear my heart. We have a generation growing up that does not feel loved. We have a generation that doesn't feel parental love or grandparents' love. Sometimes the only love they receive is when they walk through these doors for Sunday school or Wednesday night team kid, and they look at your smiling faces, and that's where they feel love and learn about God's love. And if you don't think I'm telling you the truth, you ask some of our, our educators, some of our teachers, what they see in schools and how their children really respond because they don't feel loved. Every child needs to be loved. And the way we pass on our belief, if I love them the way I'm supposed to, they're going to love Jesus just like I do. They're going to love Jesus just like you do. And the first thing we need to do in the new year is to make sure we're passing on these beliefs by loving them the way God said to love them. The second thing, we pass on our religious beliefs by being involved with our children. You see, nothing takes the place of time. You see, he said this in there. These words, I command you, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children You know, I shall talk with them when you sit down in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You'll bind them as a sign, uh, frontless between your eyes and on your hands. You shall write them on the gatepost. See, he's given us some practical ways to really show our children what we believe. You see, we need to understand that. 
Teaching is more than passing on facts. It's a matter of being involved. Nothing takes the place of time with kids. It's sort of like uh, learning to cook. Nothing takes the place of cooking, taking time to cook. You know, my, my wife is an excellent cook now, but I thought she was out to poison me the first three months we were married. My father-in-law's favorite joke was she treated me like a god. She offered me three burn offerings a day. And she did. But you can tell that she has learned how to cook very, very well. Okay? But you see, that took time. And nothing takes a place of time with kids. He said, when you talk at your table... When you lay down, when you rise up, when you're walking away, pass on what you believe about God. I called it something else when my kids were little. I called it deprogramming them from the world. They go off to school. The teacher has them there eight hours. Teachers are good people, but I want to tell you, some teachers don't have the same values or beliefs that I have. And so if you'll sit there and listen to your kids, they'll tell you whatever happened on their, their day. They'll tell on themselves. They'll do all kinds of stuff. But you just listen and don't judge and just say, what does God say about that? Why do we not do that? You see, we have a whole generation now, I want you to hear me, that's been indoctrinated by the liberal generation of our media and of our school system because it's based on humanism. And they're taught, this is right, this is right, no big deal, let them alone, let them be happy, everybody deserves to be happy, blah, 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 blah. Okay? I'm not talking about letting everybody be happy, I'm talking what's the difference between right and wrong, and you get to determine that in your family. You get to build that in. And if you fail to do so, you have failed to pass on what you believe about God. And we need to understand that. Uh, For example, you see, children learn what parents practice, not what parents demand. You know the old thing, don't do as I do, do as I say? That doesn't work. You see, it works like this. Our children appreciate the Bible because they see us appreciate the Bible. They see us reading it and telling them, and they learn to appreciate the Bible. Uh, They learn to forgive by being forgiven. Okay, they discover the importance of church by our faithfulness. Did, did you hear that? There should have been lots of amens. They learn generosity by our giving. They learn to pray because we pray. They learn to love because we love. And none of that happens if we're not involved in their lives. I don't know how many basketball games, soccer games, plays, cattle shows, you name it, I tried to be there. And I don't regret one minute of it because my children sparkled when they saw their parents watching them. Brother Gary, I'm so busy and I just... You take time to be with your kids or you've missed the boat. Now, do you hear that? Everybody has to earn a living. I'm not living in a white tower. I understand that. But earning a living, are you hearing me, is your responsibility. But raising children is your God-given right. Spend time. 
That's the way they learn about God. That's the way they learn about Jesus. We have little kids come up and talk to me all the time. You say, boy, you baptized a lot of young kids. They've been in church since they were in the, in, in the nursery back there in the, in the crib. And, of course, they're going to come to Christ earlier because they see, they see it at church. They see it at home. They, they hear it again and again and again. And the Holy Spirit plants that seed and it grows. And y'all water it with your acts of kindness and love. So why wouldn't they come to Christ early? The third thing. We pass on what we believe about God through the intensity of our faith. Verse 5 talks about intensity, y'all. That's intense. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. In other words, not half-heartedly. Not when it's convenient. Not, not if, it, if it agrees with what we agree with. You love God with all your heart, with all your soul. That's everything in you, with all your strength. And I think the New Testament says, and with all your mind. You can believe in God and be a smart person. Don't let the world fool you. And see, that's called intensity. You see, a real faith that is intense and full of energy is passed on. Don't be one of these knuckleheads that talk to me. Oh, Brother Gary, I ain't going to make them go. I'm not going to cram it down their throats like I did when I was a kid. I think they ought to have a right to choose. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. You going to let them choose whether they brush their teeth or not? Do, do you, do you want to let them decide whether they're going to take a bath or not? Whether they're going to change clothes or not? No, you tell them to get in there and get cleaned up. They sound like little billy goats. And yet you're going to leave the most important thing, their spiritual, their eternal spiritual nature for them to choose? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? Don't do that. You don't have to worry about cramming it down the throat. If they see you living out the Christian life and it's genuine and you're intense and energetic about it and when it's not, oh, we've got to go to church, it's, woo, we got to go to church. And, Man, I like that singing. Woo, even the preacher was halfway good today. And, woo, didn't you see how they were dressed and they were friendly and, oh, and you, you like it. And you've got a spring in your step when you go to church. Your kids take notice. Your grandkids take notice. The kids that watch you in church take notice. And they say, there's something different about that fella. And you don't have to worry about cramming down their throat. They're saying, man, if it's that much fun, I want that. Too many Christians walk around like, sit in my seat. You didn't dress right. You sing off tune. Music too loud. Music too soft. It's too hot. It's too cold. Get your heart right with God. Do you not realize that somebody's watching you to see if your faith is real? And if it's real, they'll want it. So we pass it on by being intense. Somebody said, bro, bro, Gary, you're sort of intense. Yes, I am. This is eternal stuff, y'all. Whatever you invest in in the kingdom of God is what's going on to heaven before you. Whatever you don't do is left here. And God says, why'd you leave that undone? Well, he's talking preacherese. 
they're turning me off. Do you see their eyes start rolling back their heads? Some of you are like slot machines. If you're chewing gum, it'd pop out. Let's go on. Number four. We pass on what we believe about God through all of life's needs. Look at verses 7 through 9. Through all of life's needs. You'll teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You write them on the doorposts of the house of your gates. And then we go down to that other passage in, in verse 20 and it says, And when your son asks in the time to come, what do these meaning of these testimonies, these statutes, the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? And you'll say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out with a mighty hand. We were slaves in the market of sin. And God delivered us. All of life's needs. We intentionally look for opportunities in everyday life to pass on what we believe. It's sort of like the story I read. And Daddy got home from work and Little Johnny wasn't there to greet him. He asked his wife, what's on? Well, he was cussing. So I sent him to bed. said, I'll teach him. And he ran upstairs and fell down the stairs and cussed up a blue stick. He said, you've taught him enough. Come back here. All of life's needs. You see, when he's talking about doing all these things and telling God, it means it should just be natural in life. I love going to cattle shows, not because I like the cattle shows, but I had my kids trapped for three or four hours in the truck. They couldn't get away. If I didn't like something they were doing, they heard about it. Right, girls? But I hope they heard that there was love in that voice and there were things about we don't do that because that's not the Christian thing to do. I think you should make it a rule, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but supper time is your holy time. Now, did you hear me? Men, you be home for supper. Men, you gather around the table with your family at supper. Don't be reading the paper or doing something else or have the TV on. Get rid of all the cell phones, iPads, everything else. The kids just said, Ooh. You talk and let them talk. You question them about their day. You ask them about the Bible study, the reading they had that morning or that evening. Or you read it to them. You see, there's something about passing it on in everyday life that it makes it real. We always gather for suffering or how busy I was or who I had to go see or whatever. And the other thing is, families, one night a week, don't you let anything else interfere with your family time. And you let the kids pick what you're going to do. And I don't care if you like it or not, you do it. We played games, we watched movies, we did popcorn, we did all kinds of stuff. And some of it, I didn't like at all. When I had to be the horse and they wanted to ride, that wasn't any fun. But we did it because that's what they picked to do. You say, well, what does that matter? Being with them gave me the right to share Christ with them. You see... In all of life's needs, they learned we could pray together, that we could see it. It always worried me when they wanted to pray about something because they'd come with something. I thought, oh, Lord, I don't know if God's going to do that. I said, okay, it's time to put my faith to the test. And we'd pray about it, and the next day God would do it. I said, thank you, Jesus. Okay. You see, God is supreme. 
But he needs to be supreme in the ordinary, everyday living. Now, did you hear that? We're always waiting for God to do something fantastic. Yeah, I want him to plague my neighbor like he did Egypt. Well, let me tell you something. He's going to get you right first before he gets your neighbor. So get ready for the ride. See, it's in the everyday grit that Christianity is made. It's in the everyday problems that Christianity shines through. It's in the everyday when life just upsets the apple cart or however you want to put it. And you feel like somebody has just thrown up on you that you learn your faith is real or you don't have it. Because you're still okay in the midst of these bad circumstances. Because Jesus is still with you. And your children and grandchildren, your nieces, your neighbors, they see that and think, how how can they do that? Because we have a faith in a God who never changes. Last thing, and I'll quit. I'm probably just about out of time. We pass on what we believe through responses to questions. Children ask tough questions. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go a step further. Children and youth ask more intelligent questions than adults do. Right, Brother Galen? Yeah, he's shaking his head. He gets some doozies. Every once in a while, uh, some of the teachers come and say, Did I answer this right? You answered it. You answered it right. Quit being afraid of talking about your faith. Okay? If they stump you, there's a simple answer. I'll look that up in the Bible. We'll talk about this tomorrow night. It gives you a study. But quit being afraid to talk about your faith. Well, I might not know. God will tell you. If you're reading your Bible on a consistent basis and you're using the Holy Spirit speaking to you, He will give you the answers to questions sometimes before they come up. You can't realize how many times I'll be having my day devotions and somebody will come and ask me a question. And then, bing, bing, bing. I read that this week. If He does it for me, He'll do it for you. You see, ignoring children or leaving it up to the church is not going to get it. We get them for at best two hours a week. Now you figure out how many times you get them. (laughs) Yeah, I would. Other places. Amen. Listen, you influence them by asking questions and let them respond to the questions. I want to tell you something. Kids are sharp cookies. They hear it. They understand it. They remember it. But if they're not hearing it, there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to work with. Some of you think, well, my kids are teenagers. It's too late. No, it's not. You get down on your knees and pray with them little wicked heathens and they'll be okay. I want to tell you something. We have a wonderful youth pastor that will help us, but he's not going to raise your kids for you. It's not his job. Did you hear that? I want everybody in here to hear that. It's not his job to raise your kids. It's his job to help influence them, but it's your job to help him. Brother Galen's hiding up there saying, please don't talk about me. But I'm telling you the truth. Do do what? Uh, What I can see of it, it is. 
But I'm, I'm serious. Your Sunday school teacher isn't supposed to raise your kids. You are. You need to understand it's your responsibility. And not only that, you're going to give an account of God just like I am, and I dread it, of what we did with our children and grandchildren. So how do you respond to a message like this? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because you haven't loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. You've never accepted Jesus Christ publicly as your personal Lord and Savior. And it says you have to do it publicly because he said, if you don't confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father in heaven. And you need to come and accept Christ. Some need to join this church because you've been here long enough that you know this is where God is working and he's working in your heart. And you need to join the church by baptism, a letter, and statement. That's how we accept members. Some need to come just in rededication. Lord, I want to pass on what I believe to those you've given me. And some of you say, well, I don't have kids or I don't have grandkids. You've got a whole world of them sitting all around you in church every time you come. Do we understand that? See, I'm not just responsible for mine. I'm responsible for those in the community that we're supposed to reach. That's a scary thought. And so maybe you need to do one of these decisions or something else. I don't know. But God knows. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. Brother Ronnie's going to lead us a hymn invitation. You come as you need to come. Father God, this is your time. It's holy time because you are here. I know you're here because you promised to be where we would gather in the name of Jesus. Let him be glorified and honored. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.